0: Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet Oncology podcast. I'm Patricia Lobo and today we are talking about the new IRISIST guidelines for use in trials testing immunotherapeutics to be published in the March issue. I'm pleased to be joined by Leslie Seymour, one of the authors of this study. Welcome, Leslie. Could you give us your affiliation, please?
1: My name is Leslie Seymour and I am a medical oncologist based in Kingston, Ontario at the Canadian. Cancer Trials Group, and also the co-chair of the RESIST Working Group, who have uh, developed these guidelines with the input from numerous other people around the world.
0: Why do we need immunotherapy-specific RESIST criteria? It's a, it's a
1: very interesting question. The original RESIST criteria were developed based upon a warehouse of trials that tested new chemotherapy agents, cytotoxic agents. And uh, we know that when targeted agents, such as the drugs like imatinib and other new drugs that were introduced about 10 to 15 years ago, started to be tested, uh, people observed that the response patterns may be slightly different, and there was a lot of um, discussion at the time about whether a set of response criteria that were developed on a particular type of drug would necessarily be applicable to a different type of drug. Uh, and the same is true now for these immunotherapy drugs where people have Im- have observed another type of response pattern uh, that seems to be slightly different than other drugs that we typically use to treat patients with cancer. And questions have been raised and other response criteria have been developed to try and address that. The immunotherapy drugs, especially in uh, some tumor types such as melanoma, or uh, renal carcinoma, have been noticed since they were first developed um, seven or eight years ago that some patients who seemed to progress quite rapidly when the drugs were started uh, and came off treatment actually had really good and durable responses, sometimes even complete responses lasting lasting for many years after the drug was stopped, which is quite unusual, although it has been described in those tumor types even without treatment. And because of that, there was a desire to create some guidelines so that investigators on clinical trials, and this is really pertaining to clinical trials, would have a common set of tools to decide which patients might be suitable for continuing treatment even if they initially seem to have some increase in the disease. And most importantly, what additional data should be collected so that we can test whether or not new response criteria should be implemented. The problem, of course, is that typically with a clinical trial, when a patient has evidence of disease progression, not only is the drug stopped, but further imaging and response assessments will be stopped as well. So... Even though there may be anecdotal information that the patient goes on to a response, the um, CT scans or the MRI scans are not done or collected for the clinical trial. So it would be impossible to prove or disprove the hypothesis that this is real because the data wouldn't exist in the database. And that really is the reason for these criteria to to define, for these kinds of drugs, what. Imaging and uh, response assessments should be done and collected in the database so that we can evaluate whether new response criteria are actually needed.
0: Why were these criteria developed now? Well, there's two main uh, points. Uh, First of all, now that we have
1: a large number of effective drugs to treat many types of cancer, it's become increasingly common that clinical trials are defined and designed with an endpoint that isn't survival or death. Many trials now have progression-free survival as their primary endpoint, which is basically response-based and is more open then to differences between trials based upon the response criteria than used but compared to, say, death, which is, is a hard endpoint. Um, the additional factor uh, that was concerning us was that because of the recognition of a different type of response pattern, a number of different groups, companies, and um, imaging consortia had gone and developed their own criteria uh, to try to address these same issues. And they were all different, so that it was becoming clear that it was very difficult to compare the results from a trial, say, with ipilimumab to a trial with pembrolizumab because the criteria that they used to define whether the patient had had a response or what the date of progression was were different between the trials. So there was a consensus not only with the RESIST working group, but with people using these criteria that really we needed to get together and define a consistent approach that could be used across all cancer trials with immunotherapy across the world so that we would one, know um, how to interpret the data and two, be able to pool the data later on um, to test whether or not we needed to change our response criteria.
0: Can you highlight the major differences between these criteria and the standard RESIST criteria? I is
1: really based completely on RESIST and has the same principles. The real differences is what to do once a patient has had recess-defined progression of disease. And what you would do in terms of collecting data and managing and handling the data in your analysis if the patient stayed on treatment after recess-defined progression. That is the the key difference. And what it allows us to do is first of all to collect the data. Uh, but also to do exploratory analyses. Uh, So, um, individual patients in a clinical trial could be considered to have a rhesus response and a rhesus progression date, which is what we recommend should remain the standard, but also have a data progression based on the iRhesus guidelines, which might be later if the patient had a response after initial progression. And also a different data progression if we allow the bar to be reset if a patient goes on to a response after initial progression. So it really allows, in a, in a standardized way, exploratory analyses to be done that are consistent across trials and drugs and different groups and pharmaceutical companies, etc. so we can interpret them. Um, the other point to consider is, is that there have been other immune response criteria proposed, including in 2009 by Walchuk et al., they were based upon the original World Health Organization criteria and um, included different types of measurements and different types of lesions. And there have been some other ones as well that were more based on resist The difference between iRESYST and those is that in this, because we don't know whether a change is really needed to response criteria we collect the measurements of new lesions but we don't include them in the analysis and interpretation of the data upfront. so again it's really consistent guidelines for data collection to enable analysis testing and validation to see whether we do need to change recess to adapt them to um, the future testing
0: of this new class of agents. How were these criteria developed? Well it started off actually a year or two ago when we
1: recognised that a large number of these clinical trials were being done and that people were proposing modified criteria. So the RESUS Working Group, which has been in place for a number of years since the first RESUS criteria were published, consists of people with expertise in imaging, clinical trial methodology, statistics, and different types of uh, cancer therapies, started engaging uh, people who were uh, conducting the trials of immunotherapy, and Dr. Walchuk, for instance, who originally published the modified criteria uh, back in 2009, as well as the pharmaceutical companies who were developing these agents And we had a series of discussions and interactions with everybody about how uh, we could collect data to test the hypothesis and to see whether we needed to change the Rhesus criteria. And then we all realized that it was going to be very difficult to do that because we were all doing slightly different things and handling the response data, the imaging data, the assessment timing, etc. differently. And there was a consensus of that wider group of experts and uh, people developing and working with these drugs that what we really needed to do was set down the the, the sort of rules of engagement for how the data bases, the case record forms, and the protocols should be designed so that we can collect the data that will allow us to test and validate any changes that are needed to resist. We also included in that, discussion, representatives from the EMA and the FDA, regulatory authorities in Europe and in the US, who uh, were, of course, at the time busy reviewing submissions for marketing authorization of many of these drugs and had seen many of the same issues and were strongly supportive of uh, an initiative to try to um, make the criteria data collection, etc., consistent across trials. What are the next steps? Well, obviously, we're hoping that when when the guidelines are published that uh, they will be widely adopted, and we believe that this will be true. The pharmaceutical companies developing the drugs as well as the major cooperative groups around the world are strongly supportive of this, and many of us have already included them in protocols that have just been written in the last two to three months and plan to uh, incorporate them. So that. Is the first initiative is to, 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 to get these incorporated and used and utilized. But the big next step, of course, is uh, to collect the data and then create a warehouse of individual patient data, which is what's been done for other research versions, so that we can fully understand exactly how common this pattern of response and progression is at the moment it's unclear how common it is although it seems to occur in 5 to 8% of patients with melanoma or renal cell cancer it may be less common in other tumor types and truly understand what the dynamics of response and progression are in patients with uh, this class of new agents and then test to see whether we uh, in fact do need to make any changes to resist at all i did initially allude to a similar sequence of events that had happened when targeted agents were introduced 10 or 15 years ago. And we were able to collect a 30,000 patients' worth of uh, pooled data in a warehouse and formally test whether different criteria were needed for that class of agents. And in fact, we have been able to show that Rhesus work and is perfectly applicable to both cytotoxic agents, which it was initially developed on, as well as targeted agents, which we've recently tested. And those results will be presented at the American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting this year, we hope, as we've submitted an abstract for those data. It may be that there are only minor changes or perhaps even no changes needed to resist itself for these immunotherapy drugs. But, of course, until we conduct the trials, make sure that the trials are collecting the right information, get the data and do those analyses and validation to test it, we we can't be sure that changes are needed. So in, in summary, really, the, these criteria are really recommendations for data collection and management of data and patients with these agents, rather than a change to rhesus per se at the present time.
0: Do you believe iRhesus should be universally adopted going forward? And for trials that are midway through, should they re-examine their data?
1: Absolutely. We think that iRhesus should be included in all new clinical protocols where immunotherapy drugs are being tested in cancer, because it will allow collection of data that will allow exploratory analyses to be done of many kinds. Uh, It's obviously a lot more difficult for trials that are midway through, because those protocols and studies have been set up in a different way. The case record forms have already been designed, and the data has already been collected, at least in part. And it would be very difficult to change those midway through. However, we we do know that for many of the clinical trials that are being conducted by pharmaceutical companies, they are collecting the X-ray CT scan MRI images and reviewing them centrally. And that then would be perfectly feasible for the principles of iRESIST and the collection and measurement of the lesions that are specified in iRESIST to be done. And then contribute to the warehouse. And we are already in discussion with uh, a number of companies about that very initiative. And in addition, there are academic imaging groups who are doing exactly that. For clinical trials that have already been conducted, they are collecting the imaging data, uh, the actual films, and re-reviewing them, measuring uh, many other lesions, including new lesions, so that we'll be able to incorporate those into the warehouse and start getting an early readout of whether any changes are needed.
0: What will happen if we all continue on the current path, i.e. without irisist? Again, a very
1: interesting question. When I first started getting involved in clinical research, which was many, many years ago, for, for drugs that were in development at that time, including drugs which are commonly used now, such as doxorubicin, you could look in the literature and find response rates that ranged from zero to 100% for the same drug in the same disease setting. So it was recognized, you know, in the 70s and 80s that the assessment of response was very subjective and based upon the investigator's decision, looking at the x-ray or the CT scan of whether he thought there'd been a response or not. And it was impossible to compare. Um, results between trials, and and you could not reproduce what had been published sometimes. You know, uh, you'd see a phase two trial reporting a response rate of 90%, and you thought, wow, and would do a phase three trial, and the response rate would actually be 15%. And that was the reason that the original World Health Organization criteria were introduced to try to standardize internationally the assessment of response in cancer trials, and that made an enormous difference. Um, to the robustness of um, early clinical trials that were reported. We uh, has really just simplified those principles a little bit, reducing the number of lesions that you needed to measure as well as that you had to measure a lesion bidimensionally. We were able to show that measuring it in just one axis was sufficient. Um, but really it's based upon the World Health Organization response criteria initiative that Internationally standardized response criteria are critical to drug development in oncology, especially in the earlier phases. Um, So, really, if we don't continue on that path and continue to promote standardized consistent response criteria, we'll be going back 30 or 40 years. Uh, to where clinical trials were reported with very subjective results, which would make it very hard to interpret um, uh, results as they emerge. And, of course, the other major issue is that if we don't collect the data in a consistent way and collect data even when patients have stopped treatment, uh, we'll never know whether these drugs, in fact, do have a different response pattern And we do need different response criteria.
0: Well, certainly very useful guidelines. Thanks very much, Leslie, and thank you all for listening. See you next time.